A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and this is A Mucky Business. Welcome to the show where we take a look at politics from a Christian perspective. Is politics tainted by compromise and sin? Yes, of course. But then again, so is everything else in our fallen world. And so I don't think that Christians should steer clear. Instead, I want to encourage Christians to seek to look at politics through a biblical lens, to participate where appropriate and always to pray in an informed way, especially for those Christians who serve in the mucky business of politics. Prayer is powerful in every aspect of our lives. So this week, we make a slight deviation from our normal practice of interviewing a Christian involved in politics. This week, we're going to be joined by Rich Gamble, the man behind the eternal wall of answered prayer. His story is inspiring, and he has much to say that is relevant to us as we seek to hold up our country and leaders in prayer. Before we speak about prayer, let's be topical and spend a moment thinking about evangelism. Evangelism is always going to be controversial, but maybe we didn't expect that criticism to come from the Home Secretary. What am I on about? Well, the church has had the finger pointed at it in the wake of the failed bombing in Liverpool last week by asylum seeker Emad Al-Swilman, because it turns out that the bomber had been confirmed into the Christian faith at Liverpool Cathedral. So now the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, has suggested that the church is complicit in helping people to exploit the system by claiming to have converted to Christianity in order to support their application to remain in the UK. Now, the quick rebuttal to this accusation is that Al Swielman's claim and appeals to remain in the UK had already been turned down, which means that it wasn't his stated conversion that allowed him to stay here. Instead, it was, ironically, the failure of the Home Office to remove him. But this has brought into question the role of the church in sharing the gospel with some of the most marginalised people. Now, churches should be alert to the possibility that people might try to manipulate the system. And I've heard clergy speaking to the media in the last few days saying that they know that they need to be alert to the possibility that there might be some who seek to pull the wool over their eyes. But let's remember that there is clear evidence of thriving congregations of converts, for example, Iranian Christians, proving that when churches do engage widely with asylum seekers, that many genuinely convert after exploring the faith. We should rejoice at that, shouldn't we? Of course, there's gonna be the odd bad egg, but this happens in every group in society. It even happened amongst Jesus' disciples. Remember also that the church doesn't get a say in who gets to stay in the country. It's down to the Home Office and the courts to decide whether they believe a conversion is genuine. Despite some of the rather shrill commentary from a few politicians and journalists, conversion to Christianity is not a golden ticket to gain entry to the UK. In fact, many Christian asylum seekers report that there is a culture of hostility and disbelief surrounding their faith claims from the very start. Yet the Telegraph reports a growing concern with the Home Office and the role of the Church of England in converting asylum seekers. What I find astonishing about this concern from the Home Office and the Telegraph's uncritical reporting of it is the assumption that the church should turn away people seeking to learn about Christianity simply because they come from the wrong part of the world. And now that is appalling, isn't it? It's racist and it's also religiously illiterate. Sharing the Christian faith is what the church does. It's our main responsibility and obligation. Christians are commanded to make disciples of all nations 
So to be asked to turn away those from other nations who arrive on our doorstep would be a reversal of Christ's great commission. But because we're talking about asylum seekers, there is a natural assumption that they're all illegal or gaming the system or dangerous criminals. The Liverpool bombing allows people who are keen to think the worst of asylum seekers to feel that this vindicates everything that they already thought about these people. If that's you, I gently urge you to repent. Some who have been welcomed to the UK as immigrants have committed terrible acts, but homegrown extremism is also on the rise amongst white British people. Where are we going to deport them to? You cannot screen out terrorists by the colour of their skin. Likewise, there has been justifiable horror at the actions of certain police officers in recent times, but no one sensible is saying that our default must be to treat all police officers as evildoers. A common factor among people who are radicalised on whichever part of the spectrum is that they often feel marginalised and alienated from society and are seeking a sense of belonging. They often find this in online communities, which then draw them in and allow them to legitimise their grievances. Let's imagine an institution where people were welcomed into a loving community, where individuals invested in one another and supported each other, where they were encouraged not to focus on their own shortcomings and disenchantments, but instead were offered a certainty that they were loved by the very creator of the universe, the grace of the offer of total forgiveness and the hope of a brighter future. That, of course, is the vision of the church. So we should be welcoming everyone who inquires about the hope that we have and praying that even those who start out with the wrong motives will find that sense of belonging and of assurance in Jesus. Christ is the greatest gift that we can offer and we should hold him out to all who come through our doors. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, today we are joined by Rich Gamble, whose plan it is to build a monument twice as high as the Angel of the North, displaying people's answered prayers. After time in the corporate world and as a football champion for Leicester City, before they made it really big, Rich became increasingly convinced that building the wall was what God wanted him to do, the eternal wall of answered prayer. So we'll be asking him how we should pray for politics. Should we pray for one particular candidate to win? Should we pray for a policy to be introduced or changed? And can politicians talk about prayer without being thought of as weird? Rich, it's an absolute joy to have you on the show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. It's a, a real blessing. Let's start off with the perhaps the most important question I can ever ask any guest. So you are a Christian. How did that happen? Uh, when I was 11 years old, I overheard my parents talking that my mum might have cancer. And I prayed and I just felt God was in the room when I prayed. I hadn't had a Christian upbringing. And then, um, so I always believed in him. But then about, uh, you know, 12 years later, just felt that I met with God. And and somebody explained the gospel to me. And I was like, right, let's do it. So it's so almost like you've been waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a driving force for my life that I had to wait so many years until somebody told me what mm. the gospel actually was. So. Mm. I, I have a very similar experience, but this is not about me. So <laughs> you became a Christian at about, what, 20 or so? Um, having, yes. Having um, prayed to God. Did you pray and continue to pray during those years between uh, that prayer for your mum and the moment you heard the gospel and accepted it? 
Uh, no, I didn't really. I just, I didn't know what to do. And I just mm. carried on being a rascal and being the very best <laughs> of rascals, you know. <laughs> so uh, I suppose, I suppose I like most people, um, you you probably dip into a prayer in the extreme circumstances when mm. when you don't know what else to do. But other than that, no, there was no there was no conversation. And I think that's the thing that I've learned since becoming a Christian, that prayer is a, a conversation and a journey with God. Mm. But a, a wonderful testimony that God clearly hears and God has got a, a long, long memory, <clears throat> an eternal one even. But that gap, I guess, between you praying for your mum at the age of 11 and you becoming a Christian all those years later, a reminder that God hears every prayer and yeah. forgets none of them and takes them seriously so in in the years after you became a christian um uh, prayer became something that was very important to you tell me your understanding about what it means to pray what's prayer all about well i mean in, interestingly i i sort of started off with the traditional i need to get up at six o'clock in the morning and and go onto my knees and pray i was just rubbish at that tim i couldn't get you know <laughs> The snooze button became far too attractive and I really struggled. And some people do have that sort of set prayer life. But for me, it was just a conversation with God throughout the day mm. and just talking to him throughout the day. And sometimes that's thanking him. Sometimes that's just expressing my heart of how I'm feeling mm. about stuff. Mm. And and then because I because I uh, do that, then I started to learn and recognize his voice. Mm. And and, um, you know, I guess it's like anybody's voice that you the more you talk to them, you, you more you recognize when when you hear their their sort of their tones in a crowd, you know, yeah. over over the hubbub of all the other noise that's going on. Yeah. So you heard God's voice, if I can put it that way. Um received a kind of vision, um, a sense that you should build the wall, the eternal wall of answered prayer. Um, yes, not a Trump it, thing. Just No, to... it, uh, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, tell us briefly how that came about. Uh, yeah, I was walking around Leicester doing a piece of performance art to get people to think about Jesus during Easter. And it was just a flash through my mind. It, I remember the young ones used to do that on the TV. They'd flash something up, a random image. And it was a bit like that that sort of came into my head. And um, and I sort of grabbed it. And, and I remember just going home to my wife and going, I, I think God wants me to build a national landmark. <laughs> she was used to that. All oh, right, OK, fair enough. <laughs> and really, I, yeah, and really, I just, I didn't really know what to do with it, Tim, and just sort of sat on that for, for 10 years occasionally mm. thinking about it occasionally talking to god about it but seven years ago felt god give me the green light and and the idea really is um it's a giant mobius strip made up of a million bricks and every brick will represent a story of when somebody's prayed and god has answered and you'll be able to point your phone using state-of-the-art technology point your phone at any of the bricks on the structure and your phone will light up and it'll tell you the story of hope that lies within that brick. Wow. Wow. Um, so first of all, I love the young ones reference. I completely get that. Some of our <laughs> listeners may also, but you're, I think there's something wonderfully 
Am I allowed to say this sort of spooky about something obviously answered? Um, uh, and yeah. I get tingle down my spine when I feel, yep, God's with me, God's answered, God's delivered. Um, uh, he is real. Uh, yeah. and he, is, he is little old me. You had some amazing experiences, particularly when it came to the land being acquired. Yeah, and it's great to have a confirmation because you, you always have wrestled with those doubts of, have I made this up? But we were praying for land. Um, my wife and I went to the States and somebody came up to us who didn't know us, didn't know what we were doing and just said, God wants you to know he's got some land prepared for you, mm. which is pretty cool to go over the other side <laughs> of the planet and get God speak to you like that. And then um, so I told we have a team of people praying all the time for this project, over 100 volunteers. And I just, you know, shared that with them. And one of them said, well, if God said he's got the land, let's find out where it is. That'll save a lot of time and money. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, all right, then <laughs> give it a go. And uh, then this lady then sent through a map with a circle on it saying either this is the land or the person who owns it is highly significant. And that was, you know, as you say, it's a bit spooky. You do get shivers down your spine because mm. when I looked at the map, I realised that the landowner had e emailed me two, two weeks previously and asked mm. to meet. Mm. And I met with him. And, uh, you know, I, I had this vision now 17 years ago. And I find out in the meeting that 17 and a half years ago, he'd had, he'd had the same vision. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, but even at that point, I didn't tell him where the land had been circled or that that even happened because I didn't want to emotionally or spiritually manipulate him. Mm. Uh, he went away, he came back, he decided to give us some land, not the piece that was circled. And we had like two years of messing about with loads of different pieces of land. And in the end, he paid an architect to look at all his portfolio of land in the Midlands. And he came back with the piece that the woman had circled two years previously. I mean, amazing. And it is prime real estate in one sense, isn't it? To tell me it's right by various motorways and airports. And Yeah, so we're in between the M6 and the M42. HS2 will go past it just as it begins to slow down to go into Birmingham. And uh, obviously people, uh, the flight path to land into Birmingham Airport. So we think about 790,000 people will see it per week. Mm -hmm. um, and we're hoping to get about half a million visitors during during the year but that sort of prominence we believe will have a real impact to provoking a national conversation about prayer that's what we're trying to uh, achieve public art should provoke a conversation it shouldn't suggest an answer a mucky business with tim farron we're talking to rich gamble the man behind the eternal wall of answered prayer rich uh, the idea of having this huge monument and, as you say, trying to trigger a national conversation um, goes against the grain, I suppose, in a society which has perhaps thought to be um, letting go of God and spirituality. But people pray for things all the time. And you've come across some, some research recently that shows that there are far more people praying than maybe folks would think. Yeah, and, and pretty staggering uh, results, really, that that we weren't in any way expected when we commissioned it. But uh, we found that 50% of 18 to 34-year-olds say that they pray at least once a month. 
And um, just a breakdown of that, 56% of those said that they were Christian, 8% Muslim, 1% the other faiths, and then the rest, no faith at all. And I find, what I find that is, is that is fascinating because we are often fed this narrative that we live in a secular society and that is used as a as leverage if you like to sort of limit uh our ability to talk about what we believe but it's clear that something has happened since the pandemic mm. which has shaken people and caused them to um explore their own spirituality and, and faith and and the other point to mention tim is that this younger generation are praying differently. They were three times more likely uh, to pray for things other than themselves. Three, mm. mi- three times more likely to pray for the government mm. than those over 55. Now, I, I don't, I'd be interested how you interpret those mm. stats. Is, is the older generation just more cynical and don't think that the government would listen? I, I don't know, but, but I... I do find it interesting how their focus of prayer is very different. Which is really fascinating. I mean, often you see, particularly in social media exchanges, when something sad or difficult happens, the kind of throwaway is thoughts and prayers. And sometimes people will say thoughts and prayers almost to be ironic and to take the mickey slightly when something not particularly serious has happened to, yeah. uh, to show kind of mock pathos and, and what have you. But to offer to pray for someone when you really do is enormously powerful isn't it? it well it well it is and it can change the situation and I, I found it fascinating when we were in um the situation with Boris being mm. unwell that you know that the headline was pray for Boris mm. you know and I understand that the min- you know a number of the ministers were told the only thing we can do now is pray mm. and my WhatsApp was lighting up with church leaders saying, pray for Boris, pray for Boris. We must, we must pray for him. And what was interesting for me was that, that when he got better, nobody, nobody went, let's mm. give thanks to God. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think we had the same with the Christian Erickson situation in the Euros. Yeah. yeah. And I got phoned up by a journalist who said, when's your big fella going to get some of the credit, which I found found a bit interesting. And there is a, I think prayer has been dumbed down, I would say, and relegated Mm. to this just more like an empathetic standing with. Mm. But for many of us, it's actually an engagement and a conversation with God. And I believe and have experienced numerous times, and we're seeing stories coming in, numerous that you know loads of stories coming in on a daily basis where people are prayed and the situation has changed and i think you make a really good point as well there that for us as christians actually um it's easy or maybe tempting to pray when stuff is difficult and hard and then when god does answer which he does and when things go well we kind of just walk off and forget that there's a reason why it went well um, and praising God is really important as well as it is uh, to to beseech him and to seek things for, for Christian politicians. And I know this my, myself um, being uh, pictured as somebody who does pray um, 
offers up the opportunity for you to be considered a weirdo. Um, <laughs> what does it, um, which, you know, in my case is obviously obviously true, but how do you think <laughs> prayer is viewed by other people? I mean, I remember being, um, uh, you know, questioned by John Humphreys, did I pray for Theresa May? And I got the very clear impression what he wanted was the headline, Tim Farron prays for Theresa May, um, and that that would be a strange thing. How do you think prayer is viewed by people out there? Yeah, I don't think it's particularly understood and, and hence hence the need for what we're doing, because I think it is uh, I think it is just seen as those sort of words going to the ether. Mm. I mean, I often when I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'll say to them, you know, would you like me to pray for you? And they and they go, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then I pray for them there and then. Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, oh, I didn't realize you were going to do now. that. <laughs> yeah. And and. And, and I think that's good because it, it then shows them how natural that that is and that conversation is and how accessible it is for them too. Um, I think it's interesting, though, you know, some of the prayer requests that you get in terms of praying for politics, and I, I do compare it to football. Obviously, that's mm. my, my background. But I remember... I remember um, watching the African Nations Cup final and it went to penalties and there were two players on the pitch and I knew both of them and I could see both of them praying to God to win and I'm like well what does God do here <laughs> <You know? laughs> one of them is going to say God you answered and the other one's going to say you, you didn't you know and and so in that sort of like praying for somebody to win or what have you um, you know, praying that a certain MP wins their wins their seat. I'm I'm not sure about that, uh, to be honest. And and often when I would pray for politicians, I'm praying for wisdom. Mm. I'm praying for insight. I'm praying for strength for them. And I I think because because we are people of free will. Mm. You know, God does give us a choice. Mm. Um, I do believe God can change people's hearts. And and God can you know God can speak to non you know people who people who don't believe He can speak to them in a dream you know we've mm. we've seen that that happen mm. but I think wisdom is the best thing we can pray for our politicians. I, I mean I absolutely amen. I'm so so impressed with what you're doing and it's such an in, enormous blessing to have you on the show. I hope it encourages people to pray thoughtfully and energetically about all the things in our community nationally internationally and very locally um god bless you and may the war be a, a huge success thank you each week we answer a question from you the listener about how christianity and politics can work together maybe you're thinking through a particular issue or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy if you've got a question we'd love it if you wrote it into us at i'll say that again each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, we would love it if you wrote it in to us in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, we've got a question from John in London. John asks, I was recently watching a session of Prime Minister's Question Time with both sides shouting at each other. Politicians seem to be getting more and more divided. 
Could you ever see a time where MPs aren't sat opposite each other, but instead sat amongst each other to bring about greater unity? John, it's a lovely question. Um, and I tell you the most liberal thing you've ever heard. Um, I was at a liberal students conference, my first when I was 16. And the item for discussion um, at this conference was how we would have forevermore uh, seating only in a non-confrontational style. So for every meeting I ever went to after that, the, all my years at college and university, we sat in a circle or a semicircle. There's none of that, you know, sitting in rows with somebody at the front, which is very nice and very liberal. The reason why Parliament doesn't do that is historical, um, and it has always been thus. I guess one of the things about the United Kingdom is we've had such stability over the years, no great revolutions, no great invasions for many, many, many centuries. And so as a result, our constitution and our way of doing things has evolved very slowly. And lots of the things we do are just based on traditions that began hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So that's why we are where we are. I do think that it makes us more... Uh, hostile and confrontational to one another. I think it's an inbuilt part of the institution. I don't think it's good. I also think it's worth bearing in mind that lots of stuff that you don't see maybe might encourage you um, if you did see it, John. So, for example, I spent a good chunk of my time, maybe even half of it, uh, working with all party groups, radiotherapy, hill farming, eating disorders, a whole range of other things where I spend my time either as a chair or a vice chair working with Labour, Conservative and SNP colleagues so that we work together on, on common issues. And of course, Christians in Parliament is a completely cross-party outfit. And I'll give you a bit of a further encouragement. My Bible study group includes Tories, Labour, SNP, me and some independents as well from the House of Lords. So it's not as bad as all that. But the one thing I would say for all of us is that you know Christianity shouldn't be seen as a defender of traditions if those traditions aren't good and maybe we should be challenging our traditions and our conventions if they stoke division uh, unnecessarily and maybe this place is a place we could start. If you have a question for Tim email farron at premier.org.uk. Well as we come to the end of our time together let's end in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have commissioned us to share the good news about you with all peoples in all places. And we pray that uh, the church throughout the United Kingdom uh, would not be sceptical about those who come seeking uh, and searching for truth about you, Lord Jesus. We pray that we would feel and be afforded um, a freedom uh, to share the gospel with others and that we would be open hearted and seeking to uh, provide people with uh, the one answer that can really liberate them, and that is um, the presence of Jesus Christ in their lives. And Father, we also want to pray for those migrants who do cross the channel and others who take dangerous journeys. And we just pray for wisdom, for politicians, for leaders, uh, for border forces, that they would act with compassion and with wisdom. And we pray for those people themselves. Uh, we acknowledge and hold up before you their desperation of those who make desperate journeys. And we pray that we long for a time when there will be justice, where there'll be no need for any of that, you know, fleeing from horror because there will be none. Um, so we pray for, uh, for, for justice in our world and we pray for wisdom for our politicians as they decide uh, how to uh, support refugees. And I pray that we would support refugees. And Lord, finally, we are thinking in Parliament about social care, about how it will be funded, about who funds it, uh, about how we support the people who lovingly take care of those in need. And we just pray for, again for wisdom for politicians, for right choices that will last the test of, and stand the test of time and that the outcome will be, uh, be good for your people, for this country. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Don't forget, you can find this show on all podcast providers, so please do subscribe, comment, and like it so that more people can find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening.